So we are back once again on the Life Saving Gratitude podcast with my friend. And um, I, I, cons- I don't know why I consider you a colleague, Tiffany, because we're like in the business of life together. But Tiffany Dowell-Lashmet, who is a, she and I share a hometown. Um, as you'll recall, last time we visited, we talked about how um, Tiff was really purposeful in um, creating a life and a profession that um, I, I think like the rest of us, you had only dreamed of when, when you were, um, I don't know, in college and just out of college and starting new jobs. But I'm so excited to have you back, Tiff. Thanks for yeah. being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you again, Bunny. Well, um, I think that I, I follow you, of course, on all sorts of social media. And then I hear about you through the hometown grapevine. But <laughs> I think that um, no one, let me, let me rephrase that. I hate to speak in absolutes. There are so many people whose lives online look really, really perfect. And then there's yours where you share (laughs) messy and funny and tragic. And I just want to applaud you for being really real um, out there in cyberspace. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That really is something that, that means a lot to me to hear you say that I I've told people before, like, if you want to feel better about your own life, you can just look at mine. I'll always make you feel better because it's chaos <laughs> over here all the time. But that I really am. Tr- I try to be purposeful about that. Um, it's something I just think is really important. And that I think that we um, are doing ourselves a disservice if we're only putting out the like Instagram worthy pictures. So, right. Right. Well, tell, I know that there are going to be some folks who are listening who don't know you personally and who haven't listened to the prior podcast. So give us some background on who Tiffany is. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up, like you said, Bunny, um, in Eastern New Mexico, small town, which I really do think the small town grapevine was like the first Facebook because you remember how it was. Absolutely. People know what's happening before you do it, Um, but it was great. Uh, So I grew up, went to high school, graduated from high school in Logan. um, And then I went to Oklahoma State for an undergrad uh, ag business and farm and ranch management degree, and then ended up going to law school uh, back in New Mexico in Albuquerque at the University of New Mexico. Um, So I did that. And after law school, I practiced at a firm in Albuquerque for about four years um, doing civil litigation. Um, And at that point, an email came across my desk with a description of what I would, if I could have written up a dream job, this would have been it. Um, And so I applied and ended up getting this position at Texas A&M. And so now I live in Amarillo. I am married and have two little ones. Um, We've got a um, ranch here in Amarillo, still super involved with my family's operation. Um, My dad farms and we raise show lambs and cattle in eastern New Mexico still. Um, and I am an extension ag law specialist, uh, which essentially means I get to do ag law education um, for rural landowners and ag producers all around the state of Texas. So lots of uh, moving pieces, lots of balls in the air, but uh, it's a really fun um, profession and a fun life that I've been able to sort of carve out for myself. So tell us, I, I'm really interested in the professional piece because I think you're doing exactly what you were born to do. I mean, it, it's, um, at least that's the impression I get from whenever you stand up in front of a crowd of guys who are just like your dad and my dad mm-hmm. and um, give them a little bit of knowledge to do their business better. That sounds like a dream job for you. Am I right? 
Yeah, no, it is. I mean, like I said, I, I didn't even know that jobs like this existed. So it's, I can't really say this is why, like why I went to law school or anything. Right. Um, but gosh, like it's, it's the perfect job for me. Um, because it lets me sort of marry. I love the law. Like I love being an attorney. I really enjoyed law school. Like I just like the sort of intellectual piece of that, but I also really love ag. Right. And when I get to spend my career in rooms full of people like our dads and our neighbors and our friends, um, gosh, that's something I, I really love as well. And this sort of lets me put the two together. Um, and I think a gift that I really have is the ability to sort of break down the like complex legal things in a way that right. My dad and your dad could understand them. Um, and that's a strength I think that I've got and, and really sets me, um, up well in this position. So yeah, it's a super fun job. Uh, very different than, uh, your normal lawyer. I don't have private clients. I don't go to court. I don't give legal advice. It's really an educational outreach kind of role. Um, which makes it fun. I also don't have to do billable hours and, you know, there are other benefits like that. So, well, and here's the cool thing. I, and I, I don't want to sound, you know, we're, we, we have some listeners who have no background in places yeah. like rural Eastern New Mexico, but I got to say how cool it is that a group of guys who, um, who grew up in a very traditional ag background, who, who grew up, you know, in that, um, you know, that farm and ranch and, and um, without sounding too political, it's a very red area where we grew up. Those guys trust a young woman in her very early, I maybe, are you like, are you even 40 yet, Kip? No. I think, I think it's so exciting that those guys go into a room and they say, this young female is is she's spot on. She's got these, the answers that we need. Uh, do you ever think about how cool that is? I do. Um, yeah. And I think that you're exactly right because I get a lot of questions on that, right? Like what's it like to be kind of a woman in a man's world? Um, and like you uh, say, very, whether we're talking like, you know, political or religious or whatever, but very conservative rooms that I'm in. Right. I, I always tell people I spend my life with 60 year old men in plaid shirts and that's kind of what I do. Right. Um, right. And I do, I get that question a lot, right? Like, gosh, how is that? Like how, and I, and I'll tell you, I've had very few um, issues and, and it, it really is um, sort of heartening to me that, you know, they do, like you said, they do listen, uh, even though I'm a female, even though I'm young, even though I'm blonde, I, I get phone calls. Sometimes my favorite is there's one guy who calls periodically and asks my assistant, if he can speak to that little lady lawyer who knows about cows. And yeah. so I'm like, well, yeah, he can. I, that's me. So, um, and like I say, I've just not had issues. I had issues. Um, truthfully, I had more issues with that at, at the law firm. Um, surprisingly, in the quote unquote big city than I do now uh, in these ag groups. And I think part of that is, uh, I mean, I, part of that is I work really hard to, to be good at my job and to really relate to people. And I think that's the key, right? Because one thing I try to bring out, no matter what the legal topic I talk about is, is that, you know, I grew up on a farm. We have cattle now, like we're in the industry. I understand the industry. It's important to me. I think once people can see that connection with you, they automatically are going to trust you more. Um, and that's something that I found that I think is really um, sort of a key to that all working. The other thing I'll say, and I said this, I spoke at kind of a women in the law program earlier this year at Texas Tech Law School. And one piece of advice I gave is don't look for reasons to be offended. Um, when you need to be offended, you'll know. 
and it, it'll right. happen. Right? right. But like the guy that calls me the little lady lawyer that knows about the cows, he's not being offensive. Right. No, that, he's being who he is. He's just describing me. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. And so, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't offend me. I get honey and sweetie all the time. That doesn't offend me. You know, now I had a guy who um, in court one time called me little girl that I was offended that's by offensive. that. Yes. Yeah, that was offensive. Yes. So like I say, I just sort of take it from the perspective of if I need to be offended and, and really fight about something, I'll know. Um, but I, I truly try to like give people the benefit of the doubt as much as I can, because the majority of the time you don't need to, to make a, a thing about it. So, well, and um, like my friend, Brinley Tucker, who's been on the podcast says all the time, always assume positive intent. Yes. yes. And if some, you know, the guy who called you little girl in the courtroom didn't have positive intent, but it sounds right. like you know, you know, when people have positive intent and when they don't. And I think it, you're right. If you choose, if you start a conversation thinking I'm going to be offended, you are, yeah, you are. That's right. yes. And that's not helpful for anybody. You know, I mean, I've really, I've thought about that a lot in the last couple of years, given like so much of the polarization right in the country. I just think if we're automatically defensive and we're automatically angry and wanting to like fight with the other side, I, I just don't think that that's helpful for anybody either. Right. No, and so instead of starting a fight because this guy just called me sweetie in a program, how about I just do a really good job? And all of a sudden he's hitting me up outside wanting to know if I could represent him. Right. That's better off for everybody than if right. I have a confrontation with him about saying sweetie at a meeting. So. Right. 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 I, I agree with you 100 percent. So you do all this and you help all these people in this industry um, where women are not. Um, perhaps as well representative mm -hmm. represented at the moment than they will be in the future. But you also have very young children who are very, very close in age at home. Tell people about your kids. Yeah, that's right. So I've got two little ones. Uh, my son's name is Braun and he is six, uh, just finished kindergarten. And my daughter is Harper. She is five uh, and she just finished pre-K and they are uh, fantastic, fun kids. Uh, someone referred to them one time as free range children. And I think that's exactly uh, how one would describe them. Uh, they're little farm kids that just sort of blow and go and never stop. And uh, yeah, like I say, it's, it's chaos in our house all the time with them, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, you mentioned that they're close in age. Yeah, they're 13 months apart. Um, and wow. so- <laughs> Yeah. There's a time period there. That's just a big blur to me. Um, right. I, I've, my, my sister-in-law has a baby now and she's asked me things like, well, how did you do this? Or what did you do about that? And I just think like, huh, I'm sure I did that, but I don't have a clue. I don't, I, I recall no details. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. That's, but that's great. so funny because when Johanna was a baby, um, Zachary was nine years old and people will say, yeah. well, what was he like as a 10 year old? And be like, I don't know. I, I had a baby. Exactly. I, don't have, I have no recollection of those exactly. the, that time. Yes. Which yeah. is kind of, um, I mean, it's sad in a way, but I think it insulates you from, um, you know, selling them to the gypsies. There's got to be uh, some trauma that my brain's protecting me from there. It has to be. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and so one of the things that I told you I'd like to talk about this morning is this whole idea of nurturing and it's sort of nurturing your life, like knowing what you want your life to be and then nurturing it so that it becomes that. I'm really curious um, when you, before you had kids or when they were babies, did you sort of consciously think, I want to have kids that have 
X or, or that are X. Did you, was there intent or was it just like, holy mackerel, I'm going to start. We'll see what happens. Yeah, probably more the holy mackerel option was sort of how that went. Um, I wasn't somebody who ever like, you know, dreamed of being a mom or knew I wanted to have kids. That wasn't um, something sort of on my radar. I mean, I'm thrilled to be one. I'm glad to have them. But I wasn't, I've got friends who like that was their life calling since they were five. They knew that. Um, I didn't. So that was a little bit different for me. I think that big picture, there are things about like how I was going to parent or how I wanted my kids to be that I think were there, right? Like growing up in the ag industry, I think knowing I wanted to raise my kids that way was a piece that was important to me. Um, So there were some big picture things like that, right? Like, obviously, like I'm a person of faith. So like the faith aspect was going to be important to me um, for raising my kids. So there are some big picture things. Um, there was a lot of things I thought that I knew or would do that went completely out the window, funny, because, you know, five minutes in, I'm like, I would never let my kid do X and that's exactly what my kid's doing. So then I had kids and a lot of that went out the window, right? Because there was stuff I'm like, oh, I would never do that. Or I'd never let my kid act like that. And that's exactly what my kid does and acts like, you know? So, so I think there was some of both. Oh, I absolutely. I mean, there's always this point in life where you think it's really not my kid. It can't be, (laughs) but, but I do, I love the idea of the free range kid. I, you know, you and I were raised by women who would, who would open the door at eight o'clock in the morning and say, uh, watch out for snakes and be back by supper. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was, it was not, we did not have helicopter moms. Right. And just so everybody knows, I'm, we're not contemporaries. I mean, you're much younger than I am, but we still were raised in exactly the same environment. So um, is that how you're doing? Is that how you're raising your kids? Yeah, a lot of it is. Yeah. And I think um, we went earlier this year, we went to um, my alma mater. We went to Oklahoma State for a, a run thing that they had. And I met up with some friends of mine who have town kids. Um, and they were just sort of shocked at like, my kids are running all over the place, like in and out of bushes, like over by the pond. They're not worried about where mom is. Like they're just doing their thing. Whereas their kids were like making sure they were in eye contact and like not, you know, kind of staying close. And we, we talked about, I think that's a difference of how they're raised. Like my kids don't realize that, you know, that the world is not the pasture that they're used to. Um, yeah. And I think, like I say, that was something that I think, and I get, there's a million ways to raise kids, but for me, given the way I was raised, that was really something that was important for, for how to raise my own kids, right. Having that ability to run around and do those things and have animals and learn about, you know, we've learned a lot about life and death and the birds and the bees and that kind of stuff, um, in that industry. And so it's a, it's an industry. I really feel grateful to be able to be raising kids in now. Um, because I just think that there's so much benefit to that. So, so tell me what they're doing right now. Tell what, what, so, so Glenna asked me this question um, over our, our mutual friend, Glenna Henry asked me this question on Saturday night. And she said, Bonnie, of all the stuff you're doing, what is the thing you love the most? And I'm interested to hear what is the thing they're doing right now that makes you just, this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, right now for me is we've um, got them showing livestock, um, which is totally the like redneck, you know, country girl answer. So cool. Um, It's been so great. So my little boy has a steer, his first show steer. It's a mini Hereford. And so 
the steer is, you know, about the same height as my kid, which is perfect. Um, so he's got that. And then we just got back a couple of weeks ago from a like national um, sheep show and sale in Reno, um, Nevada. And my family took um, a whole like string of sheep, but my kids each took a lamb a piece um, and showed them there. And it would just like, it couldn't have been a better experience. The whole, I mean, all of it, the whole show situation, um, that Reno show in particular, like I really, I told someone, I think when I look back on my life one day, like when I'm 90, uh, looking back on life, like that's one of the days that I'll remember. It was that, uh, that special to me. So. And what are they learning? I'm, I'm curious to know what you yeah, think they're picking um, up. Well, I, like I said, uh, we know more about the birds and the bees than we probably should. Um, and that can come out in kindergarten class at times, which gets interesting. Um, but well, tell us about that. But yeah, yeah. Well, there was one time um, my friend Kyla is a teacher at the school and she was videoing Braun talking about, you know, he has a cow who's also named Kyla and they were talking about the cow. And then all of a sudden there's a discussion about, you know, we were out there the other night and the bull was riding her and this happened. She's like, ah, 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 and ah. The, the bell rang, fortunately. And so we were saved by the bell. But um, yeah, they probably know more than they need to about that. Um, but no, I I think what they're learning there, right. I mean, like there's the obvious, like they're learning about animals and caring for animals, but I think they're also learning a lot of responsibility there. I mean, right. Those, those lambs and that steer, it's gotta be fed every day. And we've got to practice before we go to the show when we've got to have them showing and we've got to have them leading and all of those things, I think, um, have been great through the show program. I'll, I'll tell you as far as the Reno situation went, um, like I said, that's a, a big national show. And my family goes every year. Um, we've brought the kids into it the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, we, we ended up having just a phenomenal show. Braun ended up like reserve grand overall in the, the weather show um, and getting to, for him to have that experience and get that confidence and stuff when he was six years old was a huge deal. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The confidence difference that makes in him and in Harper, Harper had a lamb that ended up uh, winning a banner that that was just not even a thought in our head. I said 50 times, if that sheep's just not last, I'm going to be, and, and even if he is last, he's served his purpose. It's fine. Um, he ends up being a reserve breed champion and she gets that. And like, just watching the confidence that builds for those kids has been huge for me. Um, and then the last thing, you know, we've gotten to do all this, uh, as our family together. And so, you know, we've got pictures of, of the kids winning with, um, my dad, right. So they get to do this with their granddad who like, he's the one who started all this, the show M thing. He's the one who, when his dad died, he kept our farm running. I mean, he's the reason we have all of this. So my kids get to do that with granddad was a big deal. Um, you know, their aunt and uncle were there. I'm there that my aunt and uncle. So their great aunt and uncle were there. Like we've got this whole family picture at the backdrop. And I just think like, gosh, I think that we're learning here. Like what really matters. And, you know, it'll be a while. They're going to think it's the, it's the banners that matter. And that's not going to be it, uh, you know, in years to come. And I just, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to make those kind of, of memories and hopefully lessons for them. So I also suspect there's going to be this really cool byproduct of all of this, which is that um, they're, they're going to be able to talk to strangers. They're going to know to look somebody in the eye, shake their hand, say hello, check in. How are you doing? I think, you know, I don't, I don't want this to sound like um, a program where we're making judgments about the way that anybody is raising their kids, but it does feel to me that when we have kids who are more plugged into technology, 
ban into humans and animals in your case that they do they have a hard time with that I mean people kids don't grow up knowing that when you meet somebody you need to shake their hand look them in the eye make contact and connect yeah no you're exactly right and that is something that we have been really intentional to work on with our kids um especially my daughter is really shy um which is an interesting thing yeah, that's to, to learn to parent right because i'm not uh and braun is not braun is like my personality all over again harper is really shy and once she warms up she's great but it takes her a little while and so you know, helping her work through that and, and seeing ways to kind of build confidence and get her ready to do things like shake somebody's hand, say hello, look in the, you know, look in their eyes. That's been something that I think we've really um, focused on. And like I say, that this showing thing has really helped with. I mean, the other day when we were, again, I don't mean to keep like harping on Reno, but when we know. were there, we went um, for the sale. They had the sale in, it's in a casino ballroom. And so there's like hundreds of people out in the ballroom and you're up on the stage under all the lights and stuff. Harper went out there twice and showed the sheep. Like she set her sheep up, hundreds of people looking at her. If you would have told me a year ago that that would have been possible, I would have said, there's no way. Like she's just too shy. She's too scared. And so I think that, like you say, I mean, you know, we're using these animals and and yeah, yeah, we want to win. We want to be successful. I think those are the tools to raise our kids. And I think that's the trick there, right? Like, and like I said, I said about that sheep. Yeah, he did well. If he would have been last, he still served his purpose because he got Harper out there on that stage, got her confidence, like she's proud of herself. Um, and so I think that's something, and it doesn't matter how you do it, right? It doesn't matter if it's a sheep or a motorcycle or a baseball bat. You've just got to find the tools, I think, to, to help your kids learn those kind of lessons. Well, and kind of let them go with it, right? Yeah. I mean, you gave her some tools and then she figured out how to use them, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So talk to me about how you guys, how do, how do you do, like, what, what are your reinforcing? I know you have, have an evening routine that, um, well, you try to have probably. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. That's right. No, no, no. Uh, it's a try is heavy on the try there. No, we do. We try to have, um, you know, kind of routine things. The summer has been interesting because the kids are both home all summer with a babysitter. Um, and, and now we're kind of old enough to, um, do chores and things like that. So I've been trying to figure out how the best way to set that up is. And so, you know, every day they get left with a list of like, here's the things that need to be done by the time mom gets home. My gosh, is that helpful? I, I, I am in a new stage of beauty with that. Um, because there were a lot of times when those kids were like two and three and I would come home and it looked like a bomb went off in the house and the poor right. babysitter's like, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. No, I remember those days now because I remember and Johanna would echo it that I would, um, we, we lived in a house on Mountain Street in on Mountain Road in Albuquerque. And I remember we called it the Mountain Road list because I would make a list yep. in the summer of everything that had to happen before I got home that day. And it was huge. Yes. It's yes. life-changing. It is. It's, I, I really do feel like I'm in like a new stage here of like, wait a minute, these kids are helpful. So um, that's, that's sort of a new thing we've added for the summer. Um, it's not going to surprise anyone. I'm real type A. And so things like lists and like, uh, you know, I, I, I keep like in a journal, like a list of things that are important to me to try to do every day. And I try to mark them off, you know, so with the kids, you know, that stuff, like we all, we try to read you know, uh, something every day. Um, we listen to like a, a 
faith-based podcast type thing. I mean, you know, just little things like that. But I have found for myself, if I'm not kind of intentional about that, it just doesn't happen, right? Because life gets crazy and we got 8 million things to do and we're just trying to skate through till bedtime and then start again tomorrow. So that's something that I've had to do. And I know I have friends who are like, oh my gosh, a list sounds terrible to me. It works for me. Um, so I think however folks can be intentional about whatever's important, probably doesn't matter how that looks, just having some way to set that intention. Well, I think that you, you know, we talk all the time about a gratitude practice, but I, I, my practice was always to wake up in the morning and my immediate prayer is thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, even that, even when I think that that's ingrained, even when I think, you know, I've been doing that now for 10 years since I was diagnosed, I've got a, you know, it's easy, easy, easy. I'm telling you when you hit a patch that is unexpected or feels a little bit rough, then I forgot. Yeah. Or I stopped doing it. There's, and you have to choose. This is what it. I'm going to do every day, right? No, I think that's exactly right. There's a podcaster that I've listened to and she talks about having the sort of routine and intention and, you know, gratitude journal and checklist and that sort of thing. And what she says was, um, you know, you guys thought that we were doing that for the good times. The truth is you have to have that ritual for the bad times. That's when you're actually going to need it to already be in place. And it's an intention that you like make yourself do. Um, It's easier when everything's fine and jolly and it's, you know, great fun to wake up and read or whatever you're doing. It's harder when everything's just a mess. And, but I do think that that makes sense that that's where those routines and practices really matter. They do. And in fact, when I started again, which would have, I don't know when it was about eight or nine days ago, um, I, because I got, I got this funky little heart diagnosis that freaked me out. And then I got this, you know, my dad is so frail and there's, you know, there's just a stuff swirling and it's my annual board meeting. And I talked about this in last week's podcast, but it, when stuff is swirling like that and you forget your basic practices, when I started again, when I woke up one morning and thought, I got to say it, I got to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the midst of what feels to me like pretty negative chaos. Um, it didn't change my situation, but it sure changed me. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this list and your kids are doing, I mean, they're learning other, listen, I I know you said that you, you have friends who would say a list is crazy. I couldn't function without my, you know, focus journal and the three things I have to do today. Um, But the other, I mean, you eat meals together, you, you know, they do their chores. There just seems to me, seems to me that kids that age need a lot of consistency. Yeah. I mean, I think that all kids are sort of creatures of habit. I mean, at least it seems that way to me, we do better when we're in a routine. Um, and it doesn't, again, like, I don't want to make it sound like everything's figured out at my house. Well, oh, look no, at my no. Instagram. I think to, that's the cool thing is clear. that you're clear that it's not all figured out. It's <laughs> yeah. all in the process. I'm getting, yeah. it's in the process is the journey. So you're, yeah, you're making the better humans by letting them, letting us all yeah. know that they're not perfect. Yeah. I hope that's true. I hope that's true. And like I say, I, I do think that the, if we can get into some sort of routine, even if there are just pieces of things that can be routine, I've found that to be um, helpful. I think it's, I think it works really well for them. And again, that may just be my type A personality, like imposing that on them, but it seems to be helpful in the, in the house as a whole. Tell me about teaching them about compassion. Cause it seems like you're doing that in a big way. 
Yeah, well, I'm trying. Um, I feel like I feel like that's something that probably the world as a whole needs to do a lot better about, and myself included, no question. Um, but I think that I think that really trying to look at other people and think about like the shoes that other people are in um, is something that's really important to me. Uh, one sort of, I don't know if it's like a motto or whatever, but one thing I really try to sort of live by is the idea that I'm going to just err on the side of trying to love everybody, um, whatever that looks like, right? Like I really, I hope that that's the way that I live my life. And I hope that I'm teaching my kids to do the same, right? So um, I don't know, just one example. I, we've got a, a friend here in town who we see periodically on the street who um, doesn't have a home. And so like, we'll pass him and I always try to stop and I know his name and we try to speak to him and give him, you know what I mean? Like whatever. And it's been interesting to see the kids pick up on that. Right. And he'll talk about, well, that mom, that's our friend who doesn't have a house and we need to, oh, well, what about, you know, if we see him, can we give him this or that? I I just think trying to see people and trying to just sort of breathe that in them to look for ways to be kind and look for ways to be compassionate. That's something that's really important to me. Um, and I hope that that's something that I can successfully pass on to them. I, and I hope I don't touch any nerves, but I would love to, your kids have been, and this happens in a small town. I mean, I remember going to my first funeral when I was four years old. Yeah. Talk about how they've learned about loss and death. Yeah. We've had quite a year um, around here on that front. And I, it's been, um, an interesting part, I think, of parenting that I hadn't really thought about, right, was having to walk kids through uh, death and tragedy. Obviously, like you say, I mean, I've probably been to 100 funerals in my life. Like, it's just small town. We all know everybody or related to them, right? So right, right. Um, we do a lot of funerals. Um, my kids, though, in the fall, um, I don't remember which happened first. We lost our horse which I realized it's an animal, it's not a person. I know, but that's oh, a very no, no, but traumatic, no, no. <laughs> traumatic thing. I mean, um, they're like, like three and four or four. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're yeah. little. They were little, little. And we love, love, love that horse. And so we sort of walked through that. Um, and, and I think that that's another thing about having animals, right? Like we learn that this happens and we have to know how to process it. And so we did that. Um, and then I think it was not long after that, we had three kids in our community killed in a car accident. Uh, one of them was our neighbor who we all just adored. Um, he was 14. How old was he? He was 14. He was 14. Oh. And so that one was a lot harder, right? Because it's like, I can explain to you about your 30 year old horse. Um, and, and, and in the interim here, we've also lost their great grandmother, right? And it's even easier to explain to you about 87 year old Nana. Um, the 14 year old neighbor was tougher. Uh, and that yeah. was something that we, I really tried to be intentional about walking through with them. Um, I tried, I had gotten some advice to like the the kids have an innate way of um, asking what they're ready to hear. And I sort of relied on that. I thought that was good. Wait, um, wait, wait. will you say that again? Yeah. 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 That the kids sort of have an innate way of asking for the amount of information that they're ready to hear. Right. And so I, I struggle with how much do we tell them? How much do we not tell them? I don't want to lie to anybody, but you know, we don't need to be in like gory details with a four-year-old. Um, and so I really relied on that, right? Like if they ask a question, they are ready to hear the answer. Likely, I'm sure there's exceptions, right? But, but like, sure. no, but that sounds so, so logical. Yeah. And so we sort of went with that um, and, and tried to answer questions and talk about, you know, things being sad. And 
you know, we took, we took my kids into the house where everybody is crying and hugging and it's just a nightmare. And my kids, um, you know, have, have been to funeral homes and they've seen open caskets and we talk about all that. And, uh, they look, they may be in therapy over all that at some point, but they're probably going to end up there anyway. So, um, you know, we're, we're all doing the best we can. And I think that that was something where, like I said, I had to just put a lot of faith in, like my intuition, like I'll know, right. The, that the God's going to help guide me on what I need to do. And then that line about them, them knowing what to ask, I thought was really comforting to me as we walk through some of that. I do recall that um, one of the things Bron said when your neighbor died was that he was in heaven riding your horse, right? Yeah. Or communing or whatever he was doing. I can't remember. What, I know he didn't use the word, but he was hanging out, right? Yeah. 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 That Cooper was in heaven with the horse and, um, that was one of those things like I could get cheery about it now. It's one of those things where like, you don't think about that as an adult. Like that's not something that ever would have come to my mind. It makes perfectly logical sense for that kid. And like, what a great way to think about, um, you know, like, like what's happening and, and, and things like that. So, I mean, probably as much as I've taught them about faith and life and hope through all of this, they've probably taught me more with little comments just like that. Right. Well, now you're going to make me cry. <laughs> um, well, I, you're, you're doing an amazing job. Um, I, here's what I really like. I like that you are um, open about what you're doing with your kids and you're still open to, I mean, you're not rigid about the way their life is unfolding and what they're learning. And I mean, it's, it's pretty cool that you feel like they're teaching you as much as you're teaching them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that that's true on a variety of different issues. I mean, you know, I mentioned about Harper being um, really shy and that had to be something she has to work through. Gosh, I've learned a lot by watching her do that. Because again, that's just not something that I've had to do. Um, you know, like I say, Braun and my personalities are a lot the same. Um, and, and watching him has sort of made me look at some stuff that I maybe haven't sorted out <laughs> very well. And go like, oh, wow, I need to learn to manage that better. Just like I'm trying to get him to manage that better, you know? Right. So yeah, they, they've got a lot to teach me. That's for sure. Well, and, and one more thing I remember that I think is so cool is, is um, going back to the, they lost their great grandmother, mm-hmm. but I remember when it rained. Yeah. Harper assumed, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, their great grandmother died, um, in the spring and it, we've been in a drought here, um, hadn't rained, hadn't rained. It was terrible. And so we finally have a rainstorm starting and we all like run out to the porch. And again, like we're like free range, crazy house. And, and I, and I'm screaming like, come on rain, come on rain. Cause we're so excited. And the kids are running around and dancing around and I hear Harper screaming, come on, Nana, come on, Nana. And I kind of looked at her and I said, Harper, what are you what are you doing? She said, well, mom, like Nana's the one in heaven sending the rain. Like I'm cheering for Nana. And again, it was like, gosh, I did. I never would have put that together, but like, yes, yes. Right. So there's that, the line in the Bible about like childlike faith and and things like that. And it's just, I mean, we're getting to see it in action and it's really, like I said, it's been a huge gift to me. And you didn't even know you wanted it. Isn't that right? Right. Right. That funny. I was the same way. I wasn't sure I wanted kids. Well, we could talk about these amazing kids and the job you're doing with them for hours. It seems like I always say that every time I sit down and have a conversation like this, I'm always like, wow, I could go, I could keep talking. We do have to stop at some point, but Tiff, 
I'm dying for you to come back. Well, I know you're going to come back with your uncle. Let's talk for just a minute to give people um, a taste of what that's going to be like. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. That's going to be, um, he'll, he'll be far more interesting than I am. But my uncle, um, buddy, served a tour of duty in Vietnam um, when he uh, was younger, like in his 20s. Um, and then in the last, I was probably been five or six years ago, he wrote a book about his experience. Um, I helped him kind of pull that together. It's fascinating. It's got um, from his journal entries from Vietnam, stories he remembers, all the letters that he wrote home to my grandparents. Um, we wow. compiled that all into a book about his year in Vietnam. It's fascinating. Um, he did a fantastic job. He's so proud of it. Uh, proceeds of the book go to different um Scholarship funds for the first CAV. Um, if you've got kids that are of, of members from the first CAV, he also donates money to a group that helps homeless veterans. And so uh, it was a real um, fun project to work on. It's one of the things I'm the most proud of, I think, that I've done in my life was uh, helping him get that book uh, out to fruition. So I'm really excited to have him come um, talk to you. He's great. I can't wait. I can't wait. And until then, just keep us posted on that chaotic life you're living with those kids because it is so joyous to watch. I love it. Well, you're very kind. Thank you. I appreciate you watching along. Like I say, it's always an adventure. So who knows what's going to come next? Nice. Well, thanks for being here, Tiffany. For sure. Thanks, Bunny. That's all we've got today, friends. I want to thank you for joining the Life Saving Gratitude podcast with your host, Bunny Terry. That's me. And my producer and assistant, Johanna Medina. We feel like we're in the business of sharing the stories that save us, and we hope you'll share as well by letting your friends and family know about the podcast. Follow and like us wherever you listen, and please take the time to leave a review. Whether it's a stellar comment or a suggestion, we are open to suggestions all the time. Also, follow us on Instagram at Life Saving Gratitude Pod. You can also follow me personally at Bunny Terry Santa Fe. You can sign up at my website at bunnyterry.com to receive weekly emails about how to become the ultimate gratitude nerd. Thanks so much for checking in. <laughs>